G'day, I'm Reggae Ellis and this is the Chill Factor Podcast. Now, Chill Factor's always been about good yarns. Stories about the mountains, stories about mountain people. And now, you don't have to wait to be in the mountains. Join me for what I hope will be some entertaining and inspiring conversations with skiers who embrace the spirit of free skiing. In this episode, I chat with American pro skier Cody Townsend and talk about growing up in Squaw Valley, skiing radical big mountain lines and his transition from downhill ski racer to being one of the most successful pro skiers of the past 15 years. I caught up with Cody in Threadbow last winter when he was in Australia on a short promo tour for one of his sponsors, Australian bass slayer and sock company, LeBent. So let's drop in. Cody Townsend, welcome. Thanks for joining us here on the Chill Factor podcast. Thanks, Rego. Well, you've been in Australia for a few days now. Um, experienced a bit of everything here. What are your thoughts? Uh, my first thought is Australia is a beautiful, beautiful country. Um, I know I've always seen Australians travel the world and go all over the place. So you always kind of, when you see a lot of people from another country traveling so well, you kind of always wonder, you're like, oh, I wonder, you know, it's better everywhere else. And I come here and I'm like, man, this place is beautiful and awesome. And like, there's so many things here. So. Um, it was like kind of surprising. I mean, not that surprising when you really think about it. It's a beautiful country, but yeah. uh, it's been really cool. The waves have been amazing. Sydney was beautiful. Drive down to the mountains were beautiful. And yeah, we've gotten some good snow. I got lucky. Got the yeah, snow of the year. You did get and, lucky. Uh, not uh, often we get a 120 centimeter storm, but totally. Well, it works for me. Yeah, it worked for me too. Don't worry about that. Totally. What about, did you have perceptions of Australian skiing? I know you've known quite a few Australian skiers. Yeah. What were your thoughts on what the skiing might be like down here? Pretty much thought like East Coast, uh, North America. That was kind of the main deal. You'd think like, ah, oh, small mountains, a little bit of snow here and there. But you don't really see too many photos of Australia here, you know, um, in North America. Um, so I just really didn't actually know. Um, and then we showed up, it was kind of like, I was like, yeah, smaller mountains and you know, there's not a ton of snow. And then when we got the fresh snow, I was pretty blown away, like how fun the mountain was. Like, uh, there's like little terrain hits everywhere, like kids that we ended up skiing with the mountain Academy kids and just blasting off every little thing in sight. And I was like, ah, oh, this is like, this is actually more fun than some of the places I've skied back East in North America. Cause there was just like more terrain features. And yeah. Yeah. I had a blast. I was like, you know, there's small mountains, but you can have fun. Well, it's, there's a pretty strong culture of Australian skiing. It goes back a long way, you know, like Threadbow was 1957, you know, it was founded. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and the first um, ski hut out the main range was like in the 20s. Did um, did you, you know, are you, with the skiers you've met before, what, what perception, well, what was your impression of those Australian skiers? Do you think they're pretty hardcore? I mean, obviously, you've met a lot of good Australian skiers. Yeah, I mean, like one of the guys I work with the most um, on the film side of things with uh, Solomon Free Ski TV and Solomon TV is uh, Anthony Bonello. He's from yeah. Australia, born and raised skiing these mountains, and then obviously um, has moved to Canada since then. So, I mean, a lot of the guys I go out with are Australian, but then a lot of the guys, you know, that you know about are like the, the Russ Henshaws and the Chris Booths that were a little more park oriented, yeah. which also led to the kind of perception that it was more, you know, small mountains and jumps and stuff like that. So um, actually, I mean, other than like going to Whistler and seeing a ton, ton of kids, <laughs> ton of kids coming over for the, the winter to, you know, work at a bar and uh, yeah. party all summer and or their summer and, and ski, I didn't, I actually don't know a ton of, like, don't have a ton of Australian ski buddies. Yeah, but. yeah. But it's funny, you talk about Australians, and they're everywhere, you know, like Whistler, yeah. um, you know, Japan, you can't go anywhere without that. But, like, I've been to Squaw a number of times, and 
pretty well the only Australian accent I hear is my wife's. Yeah, you know, true. They know Australians yeah. hardly. I, it was funny though, um, I did work at a bakery in my ski bum job um, when I was like 19 working at Wildflower Bakery. Oh yeah, yeah, and of course. there's two Aussies that I became like super fast friends with and we hung out all the time. They were working at the bakery too. So same sort of thing, kind yeah. of the, the um, migrants coming over, seasonal workers and whatnot. But yeah, no, that's like, not a lot in California. Definitely more, I think, Canada, Commonwealth yeah. countries. Yeah. Well, you're talking about, um, you grew up in Santa Cruz. Yeah. So let's go back, you know, let's get the full story going here. I mean, your parents were skiers up at Squaw. How old did they, obviously, were going to take you skiing? Yeah, no. So uh, my parents started skiing. My dad was in college when he started working at Mammoth, like right. uh, just running chairlifts and stuff like that and kind of fell in love with it, learned to ski. Um, my mom, who grew up in California and Santa Cruz as well, then started skiing when they met my dad and then they ended up buying this little tiny cabin, like a legit yeah. forest service cabin. Uh, right. Like you had to hike to, it had like uh, um, running water, but you couldn't drink the water. And then, you know, like fire, fire stove really? for the only thing to heat it yeah it was like that's a cool legit cabin and um so we would go up on the weekends and as you said i grew up in santa cruz which is a, mainly known as a surf town yeah but i fell in love with skiing from like super young age yeah um i you know i started surfing when i was like 10 but by that point i was actually like super hooked on skiing and yeah. all i wanted to do was ski so uh we were just like uh weekend warriors we'd just drive up on the weekend and i'd go to the mighty mate program at squaw and started joining the race program and, yeah um yeah just fell in love with it from super young age yeah and like okay with the race program it's a pretty standard thing back there that you I suppose that's about like 1990 early 90s yeah like yeah it'd be I guess uh late 90s was kind of when I was you know in my teenage years and yeah there wasn't like free ride programs yeah. it was either you were on the freestyle team which was moguls yeah. or you were on the race team yeah and uh I definitely liked racing it was um just the speed of it yeah. I really enjoyed and it surprises me Cody <laughs> yeah weird super weird and uh and I did surprisingly well at it for a kid yeah. that was only skiing like you know I'd ski like 40 days a year yeah and like you know I remember and you know I'd go up for a month when I was like 15 and you know I'd have four weekends and all four weekends were races so I wasn't even training I'd just go to races and somehow I did pretty well from yeah. a young age and so I just kind of kept on that path for for quite a while but with that you know like um look at the race kids here sometimes and uh Craig Brancher you know he was saying one of the problems the parents just want the kids to train gates, gates, gates. Yeah. So they're not good free skiers. So you grow up in Squaw, yeah. it's a free skiing mecca, like it's got the best terrain. Yeah. So you obviously train the gates and then you'd be have to be bobbing around that mountain. Yeah, and it said like at Squaw, um, there's a legendary coach, um, Sully. He ran the Squaw Valley uh, ski team for 20 plus years. And he would always say to all the parents, all the coaches, everyone, he's like, we don't have the best training hills. Uh, we don't have the best coaches. We don't have the best lockers, the dry land programs. What we got is KT22. Yeah. And that's what made good skiers. Like Squaw to this day still has more racers on the U.S. ski team than any other program in the in the country. Yeah. And that's like all the back east race programs, all like Park Cities and the Vales and all that. Um, Squaw just makes good skiers. Um, and they encouraged us. I mean, it's snow a few inches. It's like, no, go free ski. Yeah. But we don't want to see you back in here till four o'clock. Like, yeah. just go ski. You go ski all day. Yeah, go ski all day. And of course, me, I was so obsessed. I wasn't coming in yeah, anyway. Yeah, so I had my weekend and I would ski from bell to bell yeah. every chance I got. 
and I think that's what made me a decent racer is you just learned how to ski yeah and all the racers that have come out of there are amazing free skiers I mean Darren Rawls yeah. became one of the best free skiers ever yeah um, and you look at all the other guys like um, Marco Sullivan who was on the US team forever mm. Travis Ganong he could quit racing right now yeah. and he would be uh, one of the best big mountain skiers in the world yeah um, you just become good skiers same with Julia Julia Mancuso. yeah so exactly man we grew up skiing together and, yeah um, I remember jumping adrenaline the 50 foot cliff yeah, for the no. first time with her yeah right so That's, it's it's pretty cool yeah well you talk about you know jumping cliffs there's a great story i saw on selling tv i think where you're talking about you're skiing around with your best buddy and you always wanted to hit ice goddess yeah yeah and then you i think you said and that's when when you hit it you went right yeah i want to be a pro skier is that, is that was, am i reading it right well i remember it was i just wanted to be a skier i didn't know what what a pro skier was you know back in the day it was yeah. kind of like you could be in the olympics that's what it seemed yeah. like um, well here it's someone who gets free gloves yeah exactly <laughs> and i was like okay i'll be in the olympics or something be like tommy mo who yeah. just won and then you know obviously I, I watched the scott schmidt and it was he was my hero yeah and then when it started blowing up when i was like yeah 13 right around that time was in the shane mcconkey's the ken kreitler's and all that kind of new wave was popping up and yeah there's this cliff called ice goddess and you like ski by it all the time when you're skiing kt and it was like uh, about a 30 foot cliff like just a full test piece and yeah dead flat landing but i remember it was yeah, me and my buddy my best friend growing up trying to convince each other like be like i'll do it if you do it yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, i'll do it if you do it and then jumping off it and it was like that was the biggest rush i've ever had and yeah. you're just like oh my gosh like i can jump big cliffs and then that just like i think it was more like that point of jumping ice goddess was like all right every cliff at squaw is now open yeah like, right now i can go hit adrenaline i'm gonna go hit the fingers i'm gonna go hit everything here so yeah. it was like the breakthrough moment it's a pretty amazing mountain squall. like you talk about the fingers there i was there this year massive snowfall it's been avalanche closure the day before and i was and then the first you know I don't know who was, yeah, you know, all the boys were out there at 6 30 or whatever. <laughs> but I'm walking across the car park just as the first wave come down, straight down the nose to the fingers, which is a cliff you can see, you stand on the lip line, you see it from the car park. Yeah. And I've, I've never seen anything like it. This guy just launches full on spread eagle star jump. <laughs> then there's another guy in a, like a, just the most perfect sort of tuck thing. It turns out it was Scott Gaffney, the yeah, filmmaker. Totally. He's like, 50. 50. Yeah, he's over 50, 51, still sending it. Yeah, and like it was just the whole energy around that mountain. That's obviously influenced a lot, made you a lot. Yeah, like are. when I was racing, like that was obviously starting to go on. Um, you'd, I would show up to the hill and show up to KT line and you'd see Shane McConkey in line. You'd see Kent Kreitler and you'd see Scott Gaffney, JT Holmes, yeah. Tanner Hall, C.R. Johnson, like literally the legends of the sport yeah. are in line with you. Mm. And of course, I was starting to get obsessed with ski movies, and I was like, that is the coolest form of skiing I've ever yep. seen. And it's happening at my home mountain. Yeah. And then the great thing about Squaw, too, is that like, it's literally a ski movie in front of your face. Yes, like 100%. you're saying, you're like, you go up the, the KT line, and all of a sudden, the best skiers on the planet are sending lines out the fingers right yeah. under the chair and it gives you this feeling like i can do that i yeah. can try and so you all of a sudden you see the best gear in the world do something and then five minutes later you're like i'm gonna go try that yeah and i think that's what really influenced me um to just start going and trying it and then i started getting noticed and um you know like all of a sudden it was like 
Ken Kreidler, like, who are you? Like, yeah. what's your name? Yeah, they just see this local grubber. Yeah, bench, yeah, like 13-year-old kids sending yeah. the fingers, and then you're like, and then just started getting kind of taken under people's wings. Um, you know, Tom Ways was one of, like, the right. first guys that took me under his wing, and then Kreidler did, and then I started skiing with JT and his crew, and then Shane and Scott, and you're just like, I mean, how lucky is that? Like, yeah. You're like a Grom getting to ski with the best kids, or yeah. the best people on the planet. Yeah. And just, like, you go skiing with them on a daily basis. Well, it's pretty wild. Like, you know, I see J, uh, JT, I saw him this year. And then last year, we speak of Wildflower. No, two years ago, I walked in there, and then Michelle Parker's there. Yeah, totally. a crappy day. And uh, my daughter, Aki, is just going, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. But, yeah, it's pretty wild that uh, it just continues to bubble. Because there's a good crop of young dudes now who are ripping. I don't know who that was. And, you know, like... Um, What's his name? Josh Gold, I think, was one. Yeah. And Tyler Curl. Tyler Curl. Those guys, they're like just yeah. leaving school, right? And then there's guys in college right now that are going to school, which I think is awesome. But like uh, Ross Tester and Xander Gouldman. And yeah. like there's a bunch of like young and up and coming guys. Yeah. Like we had a little bit of a lull, I think. And now there's this generation coming up that I'm watching like, oh boy, yeah, these kids are good. <laughs> yeah, well, you, yeah, you talk about like okay, yeah, Shane McConkie, obviously most influential skier I think of all time yeah um did you do you remember a time when you you didn't know what a pro skier was did you, do you remember a time when you thought I've worked out what a pro skier is and I want to be one yeah yeah for sure I think it was probably around the time I was like 15 16 and that was when I started watching MSP movies and like I saw Shane and it was just like Shane looked like he was having more fun than any <laughs> single person on the planet uh, going to all these cool places and it was just like I want to be just what Shane's doing because it looks like he's having so much fun Yeah, and uh, that was when I was like really like I want to be a pro skier. Yeah, and um, I was still kind of like gonna do racing and um, Just because I was like well I'm doing well at this and if I can make a career in some sort of way at skiing, Yeah, like I just want to ski I, yeah. and um, I definitely found free skiing to be a little more fun than racing, but I did like downhill racing a lot and I was doing well at it. So I was like, I'll keep going down this path. And then when it was about 20 years old was, I was getting burnout on it. It's a very expensive sport. It was hard in the family. And I was just kind of like really starting to come up on the free ski side of things mm. and like doing all the best lines and squat. And I was like, okay, I got to I'm going to make, pull the pin on this race career and just try and chase the free ski. But then you competed like in big mountain like the swatch big mountain and the free ride world tour and stuff like that yeah was that like the combination you were thinking about like free skiing and free ride world tour because that no i was just like i wanted to film i wanted to be in an msp movie that was my goal yeah that was it like i was just like i want to be in an msp movie and ironically i actually got that chance in 2005 i just kind of quit ski racing was just starting to ski around squaw filming with like local production companies and uh Solomon was a sponsor of the MSP movie and they said to me they were like hey we want you to be in the MSP movie this year and then um they, was, uh, you get whoa yeah I was like <laughs> okay sweet so I went and filmed for him but I w did so poorly that I didn't even make the movie oh no way I got cut from the movie oh. showed up to the movie premiere in Squaw and, and it wasn't, wasn't it wasn't there and all you had told everyone you are in it right oh you told everybody man and then they didn't tell you you weren't in it uh, there was hints but they didn't kind of drop go. it and I all of a sudden was like Cody you didn't make the cut so it was crushing I was I like 
I was like, I literally at that point thought I was going to like, okay, I'm not good enough to be a, yeah. a free skier. And I kind of knew it a little bit. I remember I went to Shane's house one day to watch raw footage yeah. and I was just like watching myself ski for the first time. And I was like, oh my God, this I is... suck. Oh, like, really? I was like, I, I'm not good. Oh. I was like, oh no. I was like crashing all the time. My style was whack. I was like, oh yep. God. Was it? Was it? Did you have a bad day, or was that your skiing of the time? No, it was. Uh, it was like my. That was my skiing of the time, and I also think I was just trying too hard. Um, I was pushed trying to do things that weren't like the good way to do things, and I was just. I was young. I was like twenty years old, twenty, and uh, I was just like kind of pushing too hard, and then so I didn't make the movie. Kind of thought my ski career was like gonna be done. The next year, MSV is like, no, we're not filming with that kid. He's not good, and so I was like, well, what do I do? Well, Elise, uh, we had been dating for a bit. I had seen as her being like, she is amazing skier. Have you guys been together that long since yeah. you were like young, young? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Met her when, yeah, met her when I was 21. So yeah, wow. I was 21 when we first filmed with MSP. And I was like, yeah, I was, for her, I was like, you should compete. Um, and cause I was like, you are one of the best female skiers I've ever skied. Yeah. I was like really tight with anger at Backstrom and skied with her yep. a ton. I was like, you're right there with Ingrid. Yeah. And uh, so I got her into some competitions. She ended up winning uh, like her second competition mm. she ever did. And so the next year, the Free Ride World Tour started. And I didn't have anything to do that next year. So right. I had no one to film with. So I showed up to the qualifier event in Mammoth. And I had never competed in free skiing before. Right. And uh, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do this. And it was funny because I kind of I heard some people on the tour like, talking a little bit of smack about me being like oh he's like a film photo guy <laughs> like faker you know yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like an instagram model yeah. for nowadays and uh an influencer I'm, yeah i was an influencer but without social without. media but then i i ended up winning the qualifier event it was right. like 120 people all from the free ski it was all the u.s guys and some and i won the the whole event and so then i got invited on the free ride world tour and i was like okay i might as well do that yeah and then i look back at the next three years i was on it and it was like one of the best things for me because you were there with like kai zackerson's yeah. you were there with Sedmi shows like all these amazing legendary skiers and i learned more on how to ski big mountain in three years at those competitions than i ever could have yeah. just by skiing around squat like yeah. you, you're able to push it super hard you're able to like okay i gotta huck this 40 foot cliff to hard pack yeah right, how do i stop this well, and it just became like i learned so much so quickly that Eventually, when I did get the call to go back and film again, I was like, I was actually finally a good skier. Yeah, right. Well, with that, I mean, what, did you get third at Verbier in the, yeah, in the extreme? Like, third at Verbier. It's gnarly, that face. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. I watched it last year. Yeah, no, it it's... Blows me out. It, it's, yeah, that's one of the most nuts events in the world. I never ended up winning, got a couple podiums, was always like top five-ish. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, just, you know. Uh, I've kind of was taking it as like for learning. I didn't, yeah. my goal wasn't to win a world title. I was kind of like, I knew where I was at in the skiing. I was like, this will be good for me to like yeah. continue to push it yeah. and learn from like guys like Kai. And then, um, yeah, so it worked out really well. Yeah. It's funny you, uh, and then, yeah, okay. The, and then the filming started and you've, yeah. well, you've been in one like last 15 years, over, yeah. like matchstick most of the time yeah so matchstick most of the time so i actually so what happened was in 2010 i got a call from matchstick um saying mark abma got hurt and they were like we have an opening spot and it kind of worked out where i was like yeah i can do it 
Um, I'd actually was filming a little bit with TGR at that point, right. just like shooting around Jackson here and there. I would yeah. get like two shots in the movie yeah. and whatnot, but nothing much. And so I was like, well, here's my dream again, go back to Matchstick and go to Alaska. Yeah. I got the call and then we, I went up there with Henrik Winstead and we pretty much had the single best trip you could ever imagine yeah. when it comes to Alaska. And it was like absolutely full throttle and I skied better than I've ever skied in my life. Like was just sending like 70 foot cliffs and like, yep, stop it. Felt so confident and uh, came away at the end of the year. And Gaffney was like, that was the single best like shoot I've ever been on. Yeah. Like the most productive shoot. Like, yeah, you're back on the team. So, and now, and then I shot with Matchstick for the next, yeah, 10 years. Is that kind of how it works? You get, because I, you know, I watch all the films and you know, you got the TGR crew and yep. the Matchstick crew. Yep. You know, like Sage is always on TGR. Yep. You know, the Matchstick, Shane was Matchstick. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of be, you, you got to get in there. Yeah, totally. And you want to stay there, right? For sure. How no. do they, kick someone off <laughs> yeah totally uh it's usually by never just calling you back yeah and what do you reckon that, and i mean you know do they think oh you blew it last year you weren't that good or, yeah. or is there some new dude coming in there's five yeah. sean pettits knocking on the door or something well when I, it was like when you know when i got cut cut in 2005 they were like yeah we're you know we're gonna not film with you they told me straight up and yeah. i knew exactly why um but then from then on out when i got in it was just i got the opportunity i got yeah. lucky and you have to have that sort of in um and usually you know that helps with the sponsors and knowing people i knew you know skied with scott a ton and had filmed there before and then they are obviously like seeing stuff on the world tour yeah. and being like all right he's he could be good enough yeah. and um so i just got an opportunity and got in there and that's usually how it works like uh you just kind of like i always say it's like the door of opportunity is never going to open for you yeah but you got to be like sitting in front of that door knocking on it like yeah. being there ready and ready and then once the opportunity is there you got to perform yeah and um kind of only get one shot well, what was you know you talk about going up to alaska had you skied that much up there before or? um i'd done two trips there before and i remember my very first time i was scared out of my mind yeah it was just like i went from squaw to alaska and yeah. i was like oh my god like yeah. so overwhelmed no really didn't have any idea what was going on but started to understand the scale. And then the second time I went up there was with like Warren Miller actually yeah. um, doing a, it was Warren Miller doing a shoot with Chris Davenport. So right. I learned some more, but really what it was, was like when I got, after I did the free ride world tour and skiing stuff like the Bechter Ross and these yeah. huge European mountains that are rocky and gnarly and just like super sketchy. I got to Alaska and I was like, it was powder everywhere. Yeah, right. Like, this is easy. So, and it's not easy, but I just was, like, in a place where I felt so comfortable just sending big cliffs. Yeah. So with that, I mean, the progression with your skiing to the point, you know, um, you know, line of the year in 2014, I, I was, uh, I've read these things, it's Australian website called, uh, I can't remember, Raw or something, so a sports yeah. website, and they had something, Cody Townsend turns off the fear, something, yeah, like, yeah. you have no fear whatsoever. Yeah, um, that's what most people's interpretation of what we do is. <laughs> yeah, but obviously there is fear. And, For sure. Um, you know, because you're in some gnarly situations. And when you're standing on the cliff and you feel a bit apprehensive, top of some massive, you know, 2,000 foot peak. Yeah. What do you, how do you manage that fear? Usually, you know, like the thing with big mountain skiing is it takes a lot of experience. You have to work your way up. And I find it's just through baby steps. Like when I skied the line of the year, I've been up there 
for like 10 years at that point. You yeah. know, I'd done a bunch of trips or I did like 10 trips to Alaska. So I'd like really started to learn the scale and learn the things. And like when it came to the crack, like I'd skied mini lines like that in squat. Like there's yeah. so many little mini versions yeah, of that. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're 40 feet long, but you're yeah, like straight yeah. line, you know, narrow tube. And then yeah. I did stuff in like the back country that was similar to that. And then I've been putting all that time in, in Alaska. And so you, you essentially like, for me, it's like this rationalization of it all, of going, being on top of something like that and looking back at your prior experiences and being like, okay, I've skied like five coolars that are this long, a couple lines that are this steep, um, you know, maybe it's nothing exactly like this, but I can draw from prior experiences to know like the snow is going to feel like that. My speed is going to feel like that. This is what is going on or what I forecast is going to go on that I can anticipate yeah. so that I can like work through that fear to build up that confidence that like, yeah, no, you got this. Yeah. Um, that line of, of all lines was actually one of the ones I was the least scared of, of any line I've seen. Really? Yeah. It's so f freaks me. I watched it again the other day. I was just still freaks me. Out. It was, um, I think what happened was I'd been dreaming of a line like that for right. so long. Um, and I'd looked at that line and was had it in my head since we spotted it. And it was like a couple weeks before we ended up skiing it that I just had pure confidence. Yeah. Like I was in this like Zen calm, like state. Yeah. Um, I was just kind of like going through it going like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. You got this. And it was funny because Gaffney, who is on the ridge line with me, he we've been filming together for years and it was the first time I've ever seen him nervous. Yeah, right. Like he's always like joking around with yeah, me. And like, he was a bit and he was like, You got this, Cody, yeah. You're good, you're good. And I was kinda like Don't freak me out. Yeah, I'm like, dude, you're freaking me out, man. Why are you like you're nervous? Yeah. And I could tell everyone was nervous. I could tell the camera guys, I could tell that people were coming up with these like all right, what what happens if things go wrong? How do we get them? The guides were coming up with things. And, and I just remember being like, nothing's going wrong. Yeah. I've got this. Yeah. Like, and it was a really good place. Like, if I had that hesitancy, it would have, yeah, yeah, I think something could have gone wrong. So yeah, You were just confident. You knew. Yeah, you just know. Yeah, we talk about being um, the calculating side and safety and stuff now. I met your mum on the chairlift. Yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> which is uh, pretty funny. It was a first chairlift ride in Squaw this year. That's awesome. And uh, this woman sits down. We have a chat. It turns out, I can't remember, we got on the journalism somehow. Yep. And your mum's a journalist and a really highly respected journalist. So I said, well, I'm kind of a journalist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a snow journalist. journalist. Isn't quite the same. Uh, but anyway, chatting and because um, of what I do, she said, oh, you might have heard of my son. And... I said, who's that? She said, Cody Townsend. I said, yeah, I've heard of your son. And then as with the chair, because it's a slow chair, right? it's a good 20-minute yeah, yeah. chat. Totally. <laughs> and then I asked her, I said, well, how do you feel when Cody's going out to doing these super radical things? And I mentioned the crack one. She said, well, that one kind of freaked me out. She actually said when she watched it, she cried. Yeah, totally. She but normally, too. she's not worried. No. Um, because no. she trusts you. Yeah, and I think that's built up over time. Like, I think she's seen me, like, work my way there. Like, yeah. you know, I had, when I quit ski racing, I was 20 years old. And then when I skied the crack, let's see, um, I was 31. Yeah. You know, that's 11 years, 11 years of, of filming, of learning, free ride world tour, going to Alaska. Like, 
it takes that long to get to that point. Yeah. You're not just going to do that overnight. And if you do it like in year two, you're doing something terribly wrong. Yeah. And then your mother probably shouldn't trust you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, we have enough conversations about it. She understands the processes I go through. Yeah. She understands the... Have you got siblings? Nope. Oh, you're the only one. Yeah. Oh, the only child. No, no backup plans. No backup plans. I, know, I, I always joke with her. Um, I always joke with my parents. I'm like, you guys are the problem. You should have had a plan B. Yeah, <laughs> well... But, <laughs> well, well, with a plan B, you know, like, um, did you have a plan B? Like, um, like with college or, or uh, did you just have to give you, does a plan B take away the focus to become the top of your game as a pro skier? I had a plan B because I just knew that I was like the, the shot at being a pro skier and being a career pro skier was, it's a slim. Yeah. Like it's a hard thing to pull off. And I didn't know if I had the athletic talent. I knew there was luck involved. I knew there was opportunities to get involved. And um, so, yeah, I went to college, um, which was just like, well, if I don't make it, at least I can go get a decent job yeah. somewhere. But honestly, I look back at times when I, I realized, like when I got cut from matchstick and kind of thought that maybe I wasn't going to be a pro skier, I don't know how I would have reacted because... Yeah. I don't know if I would have lived, lived the rest of my life with just like pure regret and just kind of being a little angry because honestly, my plan A started when I was like six years old mm. and then watching Scott Schmidt and watching like Tommy Moe and Warren Miller movies and all this stuff. And I was like, I want to be a skier. Yeah. That's all I want to do. Yeah. So everything in my life was focused to it. And even when I went to college, like I was... I lived no college lifestyle. I lived at home with my yeah. parents. I went to UC Santa Cruz. Right. I worked 40 to 50 hours a week to save up money so I could have money for the winter. I would go to school in the summer and the fall, and yeah. I would take the winters and springs off. Yeah. But it was just like, I'm going to keep doing college in my spare time, but like literally everything I'm still focused on trying to be a pro skier. Um, so I, you know, it's good to have those backup plans because it is a, you know, it's an iffy career. You yeah. Know, we always joke around like one knee surgery away from being a janitor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm very happy I have that stuff, yeah. but I mean, to me, this was the only thing I knew and the only thing I wanted. It's, it's funny. Like I've got, like I'm going through your parents' experience. Like my son wants to be a pro skier. Yeah, He's yeah. 13 years old, totally dedicated, totally focused. And they're going, well, yeah, you want to be a pro surfer in Australia, <laughs> it might be different than yeah. the, with the pro skier thing. But were your parents supportive the whole way through? Yeah, they were. I mean, they've always been supportive. I think they were questioning it a little bit at, at certain times. Like when you're in the early 20s? Okay. Yeah, your early Come 20s. On. I was going to school. I, like It took me till I was 25 to graduate from college, so that kind of bought me some time. Yeah. But at the same time, they're kind of like, well, like, what are you, are you going to be a pro skier? Like, they, I don't think they quite understood it. No. And, you know, you're just kind of, joking around being a ski bum in a certain way and they were never like said like you need to get a real job by any means they knew what i was trying to do but i could hint that i could see like when when is it real life going to kick in for him we'll see like they thought i could do other things and do other things well um and then you know as i started to get success and as i started to go i think they really really understood it and they're like yeah, yeah. like now they're just like i think they're kind of amazed that they're like you turned what you loved into a career like, yeah which and, is yeah it's something parents would be proud of and yeah. i always tell my mom i was like you're the one that taught me that yeah well that's <laughs> that's, that's good <laughs> i was like you go it's your fault cool. <laughs> yeah and um well get, you know you talk about all the filming and stuff like do you think it's 
are the films as important as they were 10 years ago now with all the social media you know you got to work hard as a yeah. pro skier because you know you got to post your instagram you got to do the <laughs> facebook thing you know yeah what's it like does that ever wear thin you think okay i got to do a story insta story but you do like it's yeah like, no it does wear thin a little bit like the the pro skier definition has evolved a lot it yeah. used to be you were get photos in magazines and yeah. you would get video parts and in, videos yeah that, that was, was it. it yeah that was all you had to do but what i didn't like about it was essentially a lot of the control was out of your hands mm -hmm. um you would be reliant on you know a photo editor and a video editor and maybe some sponsored dollars and that was it like yeah. you would you of course you could if you performed well you'd rise to the top but to get those opportunities was really tough like yeah. you know i spent five years on the tour just kind of waiting waiting for that call for matchstick again yeah um and i was fortunate enough to get that but that might not have ever come in that time period if you had like things like social media things like we have gopros and drones and you know yeah. youtube and you could post your own things i might have just kept doing that and like you could mm. create yourself your own path through there yeah so i do like the freedom that essentially this new age of media has put out um you can kind of do exactly what you want to do yeah. and not be beholden to the goals of a ski movie or the goals of a ski magazine in particular you yeah. can do what you want a little bit but I will say it is becoming harder and you have to be more business savvy. You have to understand these media forums and you do have to put a little bit more work into yeah. it. Um, again, I don't mind it. I'm, the working part of it is I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. And I also enjoy, I enjoy the fact that I can dictate my own future yeah. and I can hopefully keep this career going because I get paid to ski, and yeah. I want to keep that going keep for that as going. long as possible. Well, there's guys doing it long, you know, older than you, like you mentioned Chris Davenport yeah. before he's going on, which brings me to the 50. Yes. Like this project you've undertaken with Beyond Salem, it's like three years to ski the 50, great descent, uh, what, 50 greatest ski descents in North America from yep. the book. Now, whose idea was it? Uh, well, I Yours? mean, it was the, it was the book's idea, book's idea. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's the natural evolution, but yeah, so Chris Davenport, Penn Newhart and our boroughs put together the book, the 50 classic descents of North America. And it's this beautiful coffee table book that kind of just shows all these beautiful mountains and beautiful lines. And they're all deep backcountry lines, ski mountaineering lines all over North America. Um, kind of most of the Western states are represented. Um, and Alaska, Canada's in there, even some East Coast stuff. And, yeah. you know, I, I remember when I first got the book, it came out in 2010. I was like, oh, it's cool. And then it wasn't until a few years ago I started flipping through it and just kind of looking at these lines and being like, man, I would love to ski that line one day. That thing mm. is beautiful. And then it all of a sudden kind of came to me as like, as I start more and more, I'm like, that one's kind of on my bucket list and that one is. And then I was like, why don't I try and ski all of them? Yeah. And so I had this idea like three years ago and I started to kind of mull it over in my brain. And this was after the crack. And after the crack, I kind of went through this period of like, what was I going to do next? Yeah, what do I do next? Yeah, because yeah, I felt like I reached a pinnacle. I'd done everything I wanted to do in skiing, whether yeah. that was jumping cliffs, skiing spine lines, doing backflips off stuff, like skiing pillows, and then kind of like the quintessential line in my, in my head. I'd done, and I was like, well, what's the next challenge? And mm. then I went seeking for that challenge, and then all of a sudden that book started speaking to me, and I was like, 
I think this is the challenge. It's a good and, challenge. Yeah. <laughs> you and, don't and, muck around. And I kept it dead secret. The only person that knew about it was my wife. Yeah. She knew about it for a couple years. I'd talked to her about it. And I I almost didn't want to speak it into existence because I was like, if I start talking about this, I'm going to be beholden to it. And ultimately, I was like, I honestly don't know if I could do this. Yeah. But I want to try. Yeah. And because it's gnarly. It's yeah. really. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's really, really hard. It's super gnarly it's gonna take a lot of luck and uh a hell of a lot of work yeah i mean it's hard like i was thinking um yeah with the mountaineering side of it i think was it was it tibet or nepal yeah when yeah. you were nearly dying with yeah, your cold totally. you know yeah. like that that just looked you know is this that looked like the pinnacle of pain yeah. to me yeah <laughs> that was pure suffering um yeah i know it's there's a lot of suffering involved in the 50 project yeah but I started to, at one point, it was like we'd spend so much time in helicopters and around guides at heli lodges and just kind of this catered, manufactured system that just so you can ski a one level, um, one sort of way, the highest level possible. So yeah. being free ride in the best sort of way, like you'd have cooks and like, you know, yeah. multiple guides. And I kind of started, felt like I was losing the adventure. Right. And I wanted to go out there on my own yeah. and do it without guides. And I wanted to sleep out in the snow. I wanted to experience what it was like to climb. And so I started to like do that a little bit. And I just remember being like unbelievably scared by it. Like felt like I was completely starting over with my mountain experience and knowledge. And then over time just started to get more and more like, this is a rad way to ski. Like yeah. I really enjoy putting the pieces together of this puzzle for one line and it might take you a month to ski one line yeah. instead of like trying to tick off like 10 lines in a day like put everything you can into this like one thing yeah. and you know it's, it's a quality over quantity and it just makes like all this hard work go into one pinnacle moment yeah and it's just like this is it's awesome and it's a really rad way to experience the mountains yeah and it, like obviously the website has been well received but it's like sometimes the descent looks harder than the, the, yeah, totally. the ascent. <laughs> yeah, like for some sure. of those are some pretty, you know, not exactly perfect snow we're talking no, about. No, no. And that's what I tell people is like, you're like, you're going to, you skiing like crappy snow half the time. And I'm like, my thing is like, well, what I'm mainly looking for, the best possible conditions are safe conditions. Because yeah. when you're climbing stuff, you're in the gun barrel for hours on end. Yeah. Um, you are you've got overhead hazards that can fall down on you and kill you. And that's like the number one hazard. If you're spending four to six hours climbing up a face and you've got cornices above you and snow and avalanche potential, that's, you don't want to be just sitting as a sitting duck for yeah. that long. So what I'm looking for is safe conditions. I wanted to make sure that everything is going to hold tight. What that ultimately means though, is quite often the skiing can be crap. Yeah. Um, sometimes it can be amazing. Yeah. And we got that like in Colorado this year and we got like- Oh, the pyramid. Yeah. yeah. And it was like pow. And yeah. it was like, then it's like so much sweeter that reward when you put in that work and you get good conditions that are yeah. safe conditions. It's so fun. So it's just, again, it's like this kind of, it's a different experience with the mountains and yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying it right now. So you've done 24 or 25? No, I've done 20. Right. Uh, I've done, yeah, I did 20 last year, which was uh, more than I even anticipated. But I, so I have 30 more, but I still have some of the hardest ones left. Yeah, and, that, and you're still thinking next over the next two winters, next two. At least. It's yeah. probably, honestly, it'll probably go three winters more. Yeah. Um, if 
I mean, it could go three, two winners. I could maybe just score, luck out, and everything yeah. goes perfectly. Um, I forecasted three because I was like, I think this will be the shortest time period potentially I yeah. could do it. And I also wanted to like almost like commit myself to three years minimum. Yeah. I wanted to be like, no, push through if it's like you don't, you're getting tired or whatever. Just try for three. Yeah. But it could take three years. It could take 20. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Fair it's, enough. Honestly, there's like, I could be on 49 and be like, oh my God, this line still isn't filled in. Yeah, you know, right. It's, yeah. Like a couple of them have been skied once yeah. and a couple of them have been skied twice over the course of 25 years. So I wonder whether they're going to be there. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, if I'm going to be the third guy and I expect to do it, you know, in April of next year, like yeah, you're kind of, yeah. So, so we'll see, but, um, the process to get there is been kind of the most enjoyable part. Yeah. Of it. We talk about safety. I mean, um, that Q and A with the kids yesterday talking about, you've mentioned you've lost a lot of friends in the mountains, of course. Elise was caught in that avalanche back yeah. in 2012, which must have freaked you out. Yeah. Um, so with the safety side of it, you know, did when did you know? You, was it self-education as far as understanding snowpack and avalanche and all that sort of yeah, stuff? Yeah, I've been lucky to have a lot of really good mentors. Um, it started with Tom Ways, who was a guide up in Alaska when I was like 17. Yeah. And his wife was Leltone, who's like a. Uh, she was the head patroller for Squaw. So I was starting to learn stuff from them. And then I started to learn stuff from like the, the MSP crews. And then I got really like, when we'd be on heli trips, I'd be like in the corner talking to the guides all the time. Yeah. Cause I'm like, what are they seeing? What do they know? And yeah. like, I don't want to trust my life into just one person's decision. And then I ended up getting to ride with Jeremy Jones a ton. Yeah. Um, I went to Europe with him like three or four times and we started riding around Tahoe more. And, and he's one of the most mountain senseis there is. Yeah. And um, I was really fortunate to learn a lot from them. So I just, over the years, just by spending, you know, 75% of the time yeah. in the backcountry, being there with educated people, um, I spent a long time. It felt like I was always a young guy. Yeah. And I was able to just really learn from from guides, from people that navigate the mountains well. And, and I still, to this day, am learning. Like... Um, a big part of the 50 was the fact that I'm actually not the most likely person to do it. There's more talented ski mountaineers than mm. me. Um, I feel like there's more fit ski mountaineers. There's more guys willing to take more risk. There's yeah. like, I mean, Chamonix, there's more people than I can count on my hands that I feel like are better ski mountaineers than me. Yeah. But for me, it was a way to learn. Like I was like, this will push me in a different way in a way that I haven't experienced and I will get to learn a lot. Yeah. Like going out and climbing the Grand with Jimmy Chin. Yeah, right. Like how rad is yeah, that? Yeah, it's really rad. Yeah, right here's now. a guy who's done some of the most badass alpinist stuff in the planet. Yeah. And you're getting to learn from him yeah. in the mountains. And it's been, I've been really fortunate with that. Well, you take that uh, safety seriously. It leads me to um, yesterday in Threadbow. Yeah. Right? So a lot of people underestimate the side country in resort skiing and things like that. Um, like yesterday, Stanley's Gorge, which is just to the east of the resort in Threadbow. It's a waterfall in summer. Yeah. And in there yesterday, and a few of the people in there, a lot of them are locals, probably skied there for 20 years, yeah. but you were quite blown out about their blasé attitude to going in. And Yeah, well, because, you know, I think there's this attitude here, and I was like, when, before I showed up, you're like, oh, the mountains are small, they don't get much snow. And then we got, you know, a meter of snow, and I see wind left and right, and I see these little alpine bowls with little steep pitches. And to me, I'm like, red flag right away. Yeah. 
And so then we went over to Stanley's and of course we get to the top, we look down and we're like, all right, like the first thing I notice, I'm like, this is avalanche terrain. Yeah. Like this thing can go, there's terrain traps, this thing has the potential. And uh, so we took what we do slowly. We do what we normally do. We had all our gear. I started ski cutting stuff. I started stomping on uh, like pockets that I thought would release. And we discussed our hazards. We discussed where our runouts were, where we we're gonna go. And as we start to get in there, all of a sudden we just start getting bombed by people with no backpacks, no shovels, no gear. And we see multiple slides getting kicked off by, by people. And I was just like, oh my God, like this is sketchy. We, I probably saw 25 people out there and we were the only people with backpacks. Yeah. And it was unfortunate because we are making progress in North America to educating people to be like side country is yeah. back country. It is dangerous. Um, and I think there's an attitude here a little bit that, yeah, again, mountains are small. We don't get much snow. And I was go there. I'm like, no, these mountains, these can avalanche. And there was some close calls yesterday. Well, that's the thing. They, people have been in there. And like this guy I know, he said, I was first in there. It didn't slide. I yeah. said, yeah, but it did two runs later. So exactly. it's like it does slide. It does slide. So, I witnessed two slides I yesterday. Mean, and it's, um, you know, it was, I, I get it, um, you know again like probably it just doesn't happen that often so you get a little bit more casual. once or twice a year yeah and i, I know i did read about some deaths here in the aussie backcountry over the last yeah. couple of years and it's like um i put stuff up on social media and it wasn't necessarily to harp on like australia as a whole it was just to harp what i saw yesterday yeah and i will be harsh about that and i will be kind of i will rant on it yeah. because it's it's safety and like Honestly, those other people were putting us at risk. Yeah. Um, if we would have all of a sudden seen a slide that actually took someone, we'd been trying to search for them. And then yeah. there'd be other people without gear skiing on top of us. Like yeah. you just, it was not a safe situation. And we made a couple turns and we're like, we got to get out of here. Yeah. And we could have kept skiing, but I was just like, I don't want to be around this. So yeah. it was unfortunate. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about it more and more. And it was like, man, I just, I hope, and maybe this comes in, come in next year and let's like let's get some classes yeah. let's let's teach some courses here and let's yeah. let's start with the, the kids and yeah. get them educated and because i mean the after skiing with the mountain academy kids like i would be crushed if i ever heard like some one of yeah. them were now the backcountry and had an accident and um I, you want those kids to be able to experience the mountains and yeah. ski something like actually one of their there. coaches felix Oshingar, he he's a was on the free ride world tour for okay. he took he did yeah, an avalanche um yeah. class with him with, uh, oh, cool. with his group that's good which is good but uh yeah but a few, the accident apparently talked how oh, bloody cody Towson. some seppo was telling us how to ski our mountain and all this stuff but, yeah oh totally no i got some heat back from it but it's like I, but the thing is it's like yeah you're telling you how to ski your mountain you're like no these are rules of across all mountains yeah it, it, australia is no different than lake tahoe than chamonix than than uh canada if yeah. you have snow and you have a pitch it can avalanche yeah. and so it's like it's if you can ski it it can slide so it was just kind of uh it was a bit of a it was a bummer to see but i'm not gonna i, I will say it's like i've seen it other places yeah i've seen it in jackson hole jackson's an easy place for people to duck ropes and yeah. go out of bounds without the knowledge i've seen it a lot of places and i think we're making strides but sometimes us as pro skiers i think we can be a good beacon of change mm. and you know i might get some hateful comments on my own instagram because of it but whatever hopefully yeah, yeah. you know maybe yesterday with those kids and talking to them if we can change them then 
yeah. all the better. All yeah. the better. To we, that guy that told me to go after myself because <laughs> I told him you shouldn't be out there. Eh, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, you talk about different levels of um, being a pro skier. Now, one thing, um, arcade belts. Like, yeah. let's get the business side. So yeah. you've done. Is that like? So that's your business. You launched yeah. that. Yeah, it was uh, me and two other buddies. Yeah. Uh, it was my roommate and another friend. Uh, we started that in 2010. And, you know, one of the good things about being a pro skier was we have the summers off. And I'd always kind of, as a plan B, was thinking, I was like, well, it'd be good to start a business yeah. or something in this off time and have that freedom. And and um, we came up with the idea of a belt because we were like, wait a minute, you just have these like leather belts. Yeah, they're painful. Yeah, yeah exactly. for skiing. We're like, why are you taking what you take from your jeans and then put them in your ski pants? Yeah. So we started with this idea of just like a ski specific belt yeah. and it was stretchy and it didn't get worn, broken down by weather. It would fit one size and just stay there. Um, it just was like, yeah, let's let's do that. And then. We're 10 years later and Ooh. we are, uh, we've got 10 employees. Um, we've got over 2000 retailers yeah. and we've made a company that's just focused on belts that are essentially for activities, belts yeah. that are for uh, skateboarding, skiing, biking, for yeah. surfers, for travel. Um, just something that's like, let's take something that was really boring that no one cared about and actually make <laughs> it useful, functional and more fun. Yeah. A bit like a ski sock. Yeah, exactly. Gave my segue. Yeah, totally. Kind of like this. <laughs> well, okay. You're in Australia yeah. because of LeBent. You've signed up with LeBent, which is, uh, most of our audience probably know LeBent. It's um, Simon, started by Simon Blondell, who grew up skiing Parisha. Yeah. Um, Semi-pro, well, more ski bum than pro ski, I would <laughs> say. Um, but yeah, so he started LeBent, which is a growing, you know, base layers and merino, um, the socks is killer, you know. So how did you, so you've been, you've come up with the Lascend. Yeah. Which, like, how did you end up with, with these guys? Well, with these guys who pretty well grew up in Australia. Yeah, like, totally. It was funny because I got an email out of the blue from Simon, and I've gotten tons of emails from small companies, and they never, you know, I started my own small company. We don't have money. You know, it's yeah. hard to be like, oh, you, you want to rep this? And it's, you know, as a pro skier, I've been like, well, product doesn't pay my mortgage, so no, you got to yeah. figure it out. Um, but these one, I got it, and I kind of was like, I was like, these guys seem like they got something going on. I liked the brand. I liked what they were doing. And we talked and he's like, yeah, we don't have anything. But Had you ever heard of it there? Uh, I'd just seen it from a couple. I'd oh, just right. seen like the tag. Like, tag and a couple things. Tablet. I was like, what's Labent? I was like, that's kind of an interesting name. And so I kind of knew what they were doing, but I didn't know anything about them. And then I got hit up and I realized they were Australian. And my whole thing at that point was like, okay, like, I will join the team if you make this sock. Right. And I was like, I've got this idea for the sock. I've had it in my head for a number of years and no one will make it. And I've been like telling people, like telling other companies, like make this sock. And they like, won't do it. They won't do it. And so I was like, ah, oh, this is, I want this sock. That's like a ski touring specific sock. And I was like, but it's, I think it's going to work better for on the way down. And I was like, Simon, when I talked to him, is you do this, I'm on. And he's like, right we're in let's I'll do really it sure and i was like okay okay and he's like so all of a sudden he turned around prototypes within a, like two months which is unheard of when it comes to production and i was like these things are the best ski socks i've ever been in right and um so yeah we have one you gotta tell me about it cause yeah they, like the a lot of people think the socks are sock mate yeah i know <laughs> and uh, this is there's a lot of thought that goes into this and it all comes from ski touring because when you're ski touring I find little things bother you because yeah. you're like, 
you're five hours on a skin track, you're tired. And if all of a sudden, like, your pants are making some weird noise, like, five hours in, you're like, oh, my God, that noise is killing me. So, but when it came to socks, there was something I kept noticing that was just always killing me. And so there was the first and most important thing was, like, heel lift. So when you're in ski boots, like, pocketing your heel is one of the single most important things for the way down and the way up. And I'd always thought, I was like, man, if we could have these like silicone like grippy strips on the back yeah which i had tried in like tennis socks i was like that would work for ski boots it would help keep your heel down when you're hiking up so you don't get blisters because i was getting tons of blisters on denali i came back and my feet were just like bleeding and um i was like like i want to try that on a ski sock and so they made that so we've got these like three silicone strips just right above the heel bone and like right off the bat it was like oh my god it works and if yeah. you try it side by side it's one ski sock with it one ski sock without it like you'll notice your heel moving it's up. moving all the time right? so that was like one of the most simple things but then there's all these other little things like when you are ski touring your socks tend to slide down over time just right. the heat or something so it's we put annoying. this silicone in the top too so right. they don't come down um and then a lot of things there's like been one of the most important things on socks is actually ventilation not insulation Mm -hmm. and i realized at one point that when that you know your feet get cold not necessarily from insulation but from constriction yeah right so when we did this wave skiing thing in maui yeah, yeah, yeah i remember i was in 80 degree maui water with ski boots on and my feet got cold oh really yeah i was like okay yeah that's not from temperature and i realized it was like the constriction so i wanted something super thin but i also wanted something that had some like ventilation that let your feet actually breathe a little bit yeah. because when your socks get wet then your feet get cold, cold yeah so we integrated in the forefoot some like um essentially like some very thin kind of like ventilation strips that like kind of help evaporate yeah it also was aided like their materials really good the the merino and rayon bamboo blend um kind of wicks moisture away yeah. better than any other material i found um so we incorporated like ventilation we did like a little bit of like the the upper section is like kind of tight yeah. but then the lower section doesn't have compression because again i didn't want that constriction on the yeah. lower foot but i want it on the calf and then because ski touring boots tend to have wider toe boxes, we did a double layer in the toe just for that actual right. insulation. Yeah. So, but that's because most ski touring boots, you can wiggle your toes a lot. And I yeah. was like, well, let's fill that up fill a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's it. it's a lot of details for a sock. Huh? <laughs> it is. <laughs> but this is like years and years yeah. of thinking about this, and it turned out awesome. It's the best ski sock I've ever So, had. with this, you got some interest in that sock, like financially with LeBent? Um, you got a royalty deal going? Yeah. Just you want like, to go probably, negotiate for you? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Maybe you can talk to, to Simon for me, be my agent. Yeah, no, we just like, just kind of the old school pro model yeah. royalty agreement. That yeah. doesn't, that really doesn't happen in um, a lot of no. sports these days. So, which is great for, for Labent because it's like, well, if it sells, then everyone's good. And if it doesn't sell, then none of us are out of pocket on yeah. it. So, um, but I will say right now, it seems like the interest on it's been really high. Yeah. Um, it's sold into shops really well. And uh, I'm psyched. I can't wait to get it out there because I love it. And yeah, everyone I've talked to has been like, yeah, it's the best sock I've September seen it's coming out, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, September. So with that, I mean, yeah, beyond uh, you know these sort of sort of things setting yourself up yeah. beyond the actual filming and stuff for pro skiing have you got do you just think it's 
is it just going to go on and on? Do you have any? You know, any? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's a good thing of starting the business with Arcade. I, I call that my retirement plan. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you always have to look to the future. Your body can't keep up forever. Um, you know, I, I'm sure I won't be wanting to push it like the way I'm pushing it now or have been when you're in your mid 40s. And yeah. then you do more stuff like guiding, taking clients out, coaching, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. There's a ton there. And yeah, like, there's a point where I'm guarantee I'm like I don't necessarily want to be a pro skier, but I want to be involved in skiing. And well, it's like you go back. You want to be a skier yeah, before you want to be a pro skier. Exactly. So you are a skier. Totally. As long as I'm skiing, I think I'll be happy. Yeah, no, that's cool. All right. All right, Cody. That was awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us here, and um, have a great day out in the backcountry tomorrow. Yeah, totally. No, we're excited. No, we're gonna go. Uh, see what the some of the bigger faces in australia i'm i'm excited pictures yeah. look good i think you'll be pretty happy when you get out there thank well you. yeah thanks again really appreciate your time thanks Reggie. appreciate right. it cool well that wraps up another chill factor podcast if you enjoyed it please rate review and share it with friends we'll drop the next episode in a couple of weeks until then i hope you get out and live and love australian skiing find us at chillfactor.com